What is going on, everybody? Welcome back. It is Dog Talk with your host, Holden. Glad to have you guys here as we get prepared for another episode here on the show. Like I said right there off the top, it is Dog Talk. I'm glad to have you guys here uh, with us. Coming off of a big win over the rival that is Florida, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, happened on Saturday, and dogs prevail yet again, 43-20 to 20 in that one. Huge win, huge win, and a team that some people started to give a little bit of hope to there in Florida being 5-2 and two coming into this game. And it turns out now Georgia is the number one team in the re- in the country for a reason. Uh, we're not far off of the the college football playoff poll coming out on Tuesday night. Um, so that's when we start to get to these polls that do matter a little bit more. But in all actual in in all actuality, let me kind of get that a little squared away there. Uh, went out. Win out, and that's all that matters. Win the rest of your games. That's all that matters. Win the SEC championship. You do that, you're in the playoffs. There is no doubt in my mind a Georgia team that is 12-0 coming out of the regular season, 13-0 winning an SEC championship game. You can't leave that team out of the conversation. You just can't do it. That's all there is to it. Uh, so win out, and you're going to be fine. Um, I'm excited for the poll to come out because, again, that's where you start to kind of see what the committee is looking at, what they're thinking, how they're feeling about certain teams. Um, and I'm not really sure. You know, I have my my playoff prediction that I put up at the start of the season, and this was it. I still think it's going to be fairly similar to this. I think you're going to have Georgia, Michigan, and FSU in there. Obviously, USC kind of fell off. I couldn't remember a couple of weeks ago or last week who my who my fourth team was, but it was USC. That's not happening. Uh, but I could see that being filled by Texas. I don't know. We're going to see what happens for the rest of the season. Uh, again, win out, and, and it takes care of itself. If you're not winning out, though, it's not going to take care of itself. So that's kind of part of that. The AP poll has stayed the same. Georgia consistently, week in and week out, is that top team in the country. Understandably so. Again, Georgia has these games where it just makes you wonder, okay, are they the top team? Then they play a Kentucky and throttle them, and it's like, yeah, they are. And then they get up against a Florida team who you're like, okay, Florida looks pretty good. This is, you know, a lot of people kept calling for an upset in this game, and I was like, how do you you figure that? How how do you see that happening in this game? And, and, And I get it. Kansas beats Oklahoma this weekend. USC loses last weekend to, who was it, Utah? I don't even remember who they lost to at this point. But any given Saturday, you can lose, but I don't I don't understand what people looked at Florida in this one and went, yeah, Florida, you know, that looks like the better football team. Don't see it. I don't care what the comparison with Carson Beck and Graham Mertz were coming into this game, coming out of it. I think you look at it and you go, man, Carson Beck's a really good football player. He's putting up a lot of numbers, and by the end of this season, he should have a lot of numbers uh, that are looking really good, especially considering what some other guys are doing in the, around the league and teams that, at the end of the day, probably aren't going to matter as much. Uh but nonetheless, Georgia looked good in this football game. I was I was excited to see it. If you see the stuff that I have on in the in the YouTube channel, make sure you guys are following along there on YouTube and subscribe to it. Uh, Halloween is tomorrow. Um, I'm recording this one on on Monday. Normally, I would record it on Sunday, but I had a few other things that were going on at the time. So, recording it on Monday. Tomorrow's Happy Halloween. So, Happy Halloween out to you. This is my my throwback. Uh, I don't know what do you want to call it costume. I just figured I'd play the part. Why not? But anyways, Georgia with a win, 43-220 in the game this weekend against Florida. Let's kind of get into some of those things here. So first and foremost, I want to talk about Georgia's offense because offensively, Georgia has looked really good this year. Georgia continues to be that seventh team in the country offensively and defensively, both sides of the ball, oddly enough. Uh, 
putting up numbers, putting up points, putting up yardage, everything above, everything and above. My goodness, can't get all my words together tonight. But seventh in the country, 40.5 points a game is what Georgia's putting up offensively and then holding teams to 14.8 points per game. And, again, that's good enough to be seventh in the country on both sides. Offensively, we're averaging right at about 335 yards through the air and 173 yards on the ground. Almost three touchdowns on the ground, two touchdowns through the air. So, total offense, we're averaging over 500 yards a game in this one. And then defensively, Georgia is averaging, let's see, we're only giving up 100, right at 179 yards through the air. And the rushing category is getting better and better every week. 93 yards on the ground is generally what we – Average giving up 272 total yards against teams. And in this game, we we did a lot of that same exact thing as far as the yardage goes. Come pretty, it comes pretty close uh, against the Florida team. But you see on here, here's one of the biggest things that I want to make sure we kind of pay attention to and talk about in this one, and that's Carson Beck. Carson Beck, you know, for the slow start that Georgia had starting the season, we were kind of like, okay, what is Georgia? Is Georgia any good? But all along – been through slow starts as we finished much stronger Carson Beck has been there all along and he has been throwing the ball left and right I think this makes now eight consecutive games him starting the season from the start of the season to now eight no that he has had over 250 I believe is the number 250 yards in a game which has not happened since like Kellen Mond or or I can't even remember who the quarterback was for Texas A&M in 2014 he did it seven straight games uh, but I think I think Carson may be looking at an SEC record possibly uh, if he kind of continues. I don't know exactly what the record is. That would be something uh, to look up. But, I mean, look at his numbers right here. He's, he's throwing almost 73%, almost 2,500 yards, 14 touchdowns and four interceptions on the season. I mean, you couldn't ask for more from a guy who's coming in. And, and he even said this before the game, you know, listening to his uh, – I think it was an interview, maybe it was to, with Tim Tebow. You know, obviously he's from Jacksonville, so going back home and playing in front of his home crowd, so to speak, um, meant a lot to him and to be able to do that. But he even mentioned in there, hey, I haven't played. And I've said this, he, he hasn't played competitive football in four years. Uh, at the time, I think I may have said three, but he, regardless, he tells you there, it's, it's been four years since he's truly played football because practice is not the same thing. The good thing is you're going against the best country or the best defense in the country the past couple of years. So that's been beneficial for him and growing and getting better. And he's even mentioned that too, that he thinks it was a good thing for him. And he knew that he was going to have to wait a little while and he chose to stick it out. Um, but, but lo and behold, as the season's gone, regardless of how you feel about Georgia's offense, Carson Beck has been consistent through it all, consistently throwing for a lot of yardage in every game, consistently making the plays. Are there plays where yeah, we, we look and we see somebody that's wide open downfield? Yeah, it happens. It's happened all season long. But guess what? We're still making the plays. We're still winning the game. And he's slowly but surely starting to get back into that. So it's it's been one of those things where it's like, oh, we have to kind of calm down a little bit, let him get into his groove, kind of get things figured out, because it's been a while since he's played. But now that he's doing that, you kinda, you're kind of you starting to see even more consistency as far as seeing those big plays and making them. Um, and he's spreading the ball out to everybody. You know, the entire conversation coming into this Florida game was, what does Georgia do without Brock Bowers? Well, the, well, this is what Georgia does without Brock Bowers. Uh, he throws it to everybody. And even before that, he had been throwing it to everybody. Robert Thomas has, has numbers. Uh, love it. He has numbers. Lab McConkie made a huge comeback in this game. Has numbers. Even your running backs get a little bit of touches here and there. But – Carson Beck has consistently been doing it with or without Brock Bowers. There was another game, I think I looked at maybe South Carolina before this, Hunter and I were talking about this, was Brock Bowers was not a huge part of that South Carolina comeback. 
he was pivotal, yes. He had some catches, but I think he had like 54 yards in the game total and and didn't necessarily make or break the game there. He's not. Brock Bowers is great. He's not watching this. I don't anticipate him watching this, but Georgia can survive without Brock Bowers. Do we want to? No, we want him back. Hey, come on back for a senior season if you want to, you know what I mean? But Georgia will survive without him. He is a key part of that offense. He is a great leader for sure. You want him back as quickly as you can get him, and Georgia's going to get that. But for now, we have to be able to battle, and the next man has to step up and take care of business, and we've done that. And Carson Beck has been the quarterback of that entire situation, literally the brains of the offense making things happen for Georgia's offense in his absence, which has only been one week. Again, half of what, half of the Vandy game, which shouldn't matter, a bye week, and now you got Florida and Georgia look good. By the way, hello, Oscar Delp, making plays in the place of him and looking a whole lot like Brock Bowers out there too, even bigger, which is kind of a crazy thing to think about. Not saying he's as good or, or better than than Brock is, but you can you can definitely see the potential of what's going on there with that with that tight ends room uh, because there's a lot of big dudes in that room. Seeing the seeing the pictures, I guess it's Todd Todd Hartley. Seeing the pictures with him and the other guys around him, I mean, he looks tiny, and 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 the guys that are around him are, are much much larger. But Oscar Delp, as as compared to Brock Bowers in size, they're they're pretty doggone close. And and like I said, I think Oscar's got a little bit of size on them so that's a that's a beneficial thing for Georgia and something to look forward to also kind of moving forward is having him in the future if if I think everybody would anticipate and it wouldn't surprise me if we see Brock head out after this season so that's something that we'll kind of keep an eye on uh, as we go through it there but then also Dejon Edwards you know starting this season without him we didn't really have much of a run game Georgia's run offense uh, was kind of null and void really um, we had a little bit of it flashes of it here and there with Kendall you know Dylan Bell starts to step in and that helped a lot but Dejon Edwards being back has proven to be a key part of this offense as well and and I mean why would you say not the dude's rushed for almost he he's the leading carrier and hasn't played as many games as some of these other guys have, but he's pushing almost 600 yards on the season, eight total touchdowns. He's doing his job, and you have to be able to have that ground game again to be able to do that. I think Georgia offensively in the rushing category is probably one of the worst rushing offenses Georgia has had, I would say probably within recent memory at least, but maybe over the last 10 years. You know, if you date it back to that 2013 season, you know, you had you have Gurley, and then you have uh, Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle that come in not far behind them. And then, you know, DeAndre Swift, all of these guys who you've had over the past couple of years, Brian Herrien and then uh, uh, Kenny McIntosh last year, having all these guys that Georgia has had has had a consistently good running backs room, and you still have that. It just it, it, it kind of felt lackluster at the start of this season, so it feels like we don't have that. And then also the numbers kind of also prove that because Georgia, again, offensively is only rushing the ball for an average of 172 yards, that that number was a lot lower starting the season. Georgia was pushing like 120-something yards just a few games into the season. Granted, you've got to get deeper into the season for that to change. And a lot of that with, with Dijon like last week having that massive game that he did having running. And Georgia rushing for over almost 300 yards in that game. I think it was like 280 against Vandy. That was two weeks ago, not last week. But that helps a lot. Um, but getting these guys back in a groove, you know, even though, again, I think the ranking is is really low. It's probably like 70th, something 
something like that. I may be wrong on that, uh, the number that I saw for, for Georgia as far as a, a rushing offense goes. Not very good. Um, but nonetheless, Georgia is still able to be very successful in all of those facets uh, as we move through it. So Georgia's offense has proven to continue to be something uh, that I think we need to look at and kind of talk about as far as things go because Georgia, I think, kind of gets overlooked in that thing, in that aspect, because in, in years past it's been, okay, Stetson Bennett, but can he really do it? And there's always that skepticism and that, that curiosity of can he actually do it and really the doubting that he can. And now you have a guy in Carson Beck who who everybody believes should, but the defense over the past couple of years has been so good that not, not necessarily that it took the headlines because obviously the Stetson Bennett situation did for the most part, but Georgia's defense quietly was just wreaking havoc on everybody, not letting you score. Well, now we kind of get into a season where where you can score a little bit more on Georgia than you have in years past, but all of a sudden that offense is starting to take an uptick as well. Um, and I, I saw a stat, it may, have been, uh, it may have been Eric Taylor that put it out on the Bulldog Report about um, – the differences in the past few years are, are years that, that Bobo has even been here, I think even dating back to 2014, and, and the averages as far as points per game go this far into the season, and they don't they don't venture too far from where they were in those years where Bobo was here as well. Even last year with the Todd Munkin offense that you would think, well, Bobo has nothing against that, and he, he can't come close to it, and he does. He's, he's probably, I think, within less than a point away from what Bobo was last year uh, or uh, – what Munkin was last year at this point. So offensively, Georgia's clicking on all cylinders. I know that we wanted to kind of kind of bash Bobo there at the start, but there's no need to because offensively Georgia has done everything they need to do to win football games, and they've, they've been successful in that. Um, so as far as the ranking that's going to come out here in just a couple of days or tomorrow night, probably why most people are trick-or-treating if, if wherever you are it, there is that. I want to put this first thing out there. Do I think Georgia is the number one team in the country? Yes, I do. And I think they proved that again this weekend. Do I think that Georgia could potentially not be in the number one spot in the first college football playoff? Yes, I do. And for how much people have talked about Georgia's strength of schedule to this point, agree it so. Georgia's had a pretty good schedule starting things off. But this back half of the schedule for Georgia is completely different. All of a sudden, this strength of schedule jumps way up, especially this this second half, these last four games of the season. And I say the last four, I'm going to include Georgia Tech just because of the couple of upsets they've had against a, a Miami team. And then this weekend beating Duke, something that I don't think really anybody saw coming. Not that they can – I don't think that they would beat Georgia, but it's still a game that I don't think you can just overlook now. But you've got three straight ranked opponents that you're about to play. Will they still be ranked at the time we play them? I don't know, but right now they are. You get a ranked Missouri team that's coming to Athens. That game going to be at 3.30. We get the CBS time again. So that game's what we have coming up first thing here, again, in Athens against Missouri. Then we get at home again against Ole Miss, another ranked team that I would imagine by that time should still be ranked because, let's see, Ole Miss coming on. They got Texas A&M this week. I mean, if if they were to lose to A&M, I would be pretty surprised by that. It is at home in Oxford for Ole Miss, so I would anticipate Ole Miss to still be ranked by the time we play them. Tennessee, let's see. They've got at Missouri next week, so – that could be a pretty tough matchup for them. That could determine whether they're ranked by that by the time that game comes around or not. I'm not really sure. And then, again, you get Georgia Tech at the end of the season. So, 
my point in this is I, I wouldn't be surprised if Georgia's not the number one team in the country. In my opinion, they are. And a lot of opinions, they in other people's opinions, they are as well. But there's there's these few people that say, oh, you know, they hadn't played anybody. Well, I think they've played enough of a competition to say, okay, they've had some struggles here and there, but, you know, some of these other teams have as well. But they're winning. They're doing what they're supposed to do and win and just trying to push what we know about – you know, last year and the year before that to us to the side and just, just grade things off of this year, I think it's very difficult for a committee to do as well um, because especially I hate to use the comparison, but I'm going to use it. If it's Alabama, they're always going to get the benefit of the doubt from years past of what they are this year. And I think they still kind of have that same mantra coming into this season, you know, that they're, they're going to be considered when the time comes. And that's fine. Again, it doesn't matter where we're ranked right now. What matters where we're ranked is come December. You know, once we get past the SEC championship game, you want to be in a pretty good ranking position or right before it, depending on how that game goes. But win out. Win out the rest of your regular season, and you don't have to worry about it. If you lose to Tennessee on November 18th, that could become a problem because you're losing very, very late in the season. And one good thing about some of these teams that lose earlier in the season it's kind of more beneficial for you because you lose early. Yeah, they're going to give you the benefit of the doubt that, hey, you know, it was early in the season. They were still learning, trying to get things figured out. But by the end of the season, they got it figured out. Well, if you lose at the end of the season, even if you've got things figured out, that's kind of counted against you because you don't have the time. You don't have the games to make up for it before the final ranking comes out later in the season. Now, if you can win out and you can win your division and then be able to play for a conference championship with that loss late in the season, you can overcome that. We've seen it. We saw it with Alabama. We saw it with Georgia. These are things that you can overcome when that time comes. But just win the football games you have in front of you, and all things uh, will be fine. So let's finally, finally, again, I think Georgia's number one team in the country. It wouldn't surprise me if they decided to throw Michigan up there, even though Michigan's played nobody. And I, I, I'm not going to get into the drama of what's going on there. We talked a little bit about it last week, previewing this, but that is what it is. It will make me curious how much does that actually affect and matter looking forward and future. You know, can we look past what's going on and what, what has come to the surface and say, you know, that team earned it? I don't know. I really don't know at this point, which kind of makes it – it, it kind of dulls things a little bit because I've I've been saying this season that if there's a if there's a team that can win it and and a year that Michigan should win it it's this year but will they I don't know that's the question and now you kind of put this up there and it, it makes it a little tougher but it also wouldn't surprise me if if Michigan or not Michigan but Ohio State gets put at the number one spot because they have a couple of top ten wins against a Notre Dame team who has fallen way down and a, a Penn State team who I thought was a little bit better, uh, but just really didn't have the gas against Ohio State last time they played like two weeks ago. So, <clears throat> I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Georgia's not won. But, again, win the games you got in front of you, then we'll talk about it when that time comes. Let's kind of get into this uh, this matchup against Florida here now. So this is what we got. Again, 43-20 to 20 Georgia on top of this one. Nice to see this. I think it's like three years in a row now. And I hope, I hope we just keep it going. I love being Florida. But who doesn't, right? Georgia on the day, 486 total yards, 315 through the air, 171 on the, on the ground. Florida, 339 total is what they end up. 230 through the air, 109 uh, that you see there on the board on the ground. At the very start of this game, Florida drives right down the field and scores pretty rapidly uh, to get this thing going. And I was like, whoa, now, whoa, now, that's 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 quick. I mean, 
less than four minutes into the game off a 25-yard pass from Graham Mertz. They take a 7 nothing lead. But from that point on, Georgia was like, nah. We kind of drive a little bit, kick a field goal. It's like, okay, field goal, then 10-7. Then we get into the second quarter. Then Georgia really started clicking on all cylinders. At one point there in the – before we even got to the fourth quarter, Georgia's up 36-7, and it was like, okay, there's the Georgia we anticipated seeing. And they were absolutely rolling through this game. Wasn't really a slow start. I mean, everything felt like Georgia was clicking on all cylinders. There was never a point in time watching this game where I went, huh, man, I I don't know if Georgia's got the got the gas to keep keep going in this game. It, it the entire game just felt like okay, Georgia's in control. They're in control. They're not going to let go of this. They're going to take care of business later into the game. You know, I think I think I'd predicted it thirty eight to seventeen. And, and my prediction was Georgia was, was going to be up like that. And then late in the game, I could see Florida getting a score to make it a little closer, like a 38-10, to 10, and then all of a sudden late in the fourth quarter to make it 38-17 to 17 to final it like that. It ends up 43-20, to 20, and it kind of was that way. Georgia was up 43-13, to 13, not far off of the score that I had. And then Florida gets a late touchdown, a minute 20 left in the game to make it 43-20. to 20. So some of that did kind of happen, but – Overall, really good game for Georgia. Um, I, I was impressed anyway. First half, here's some of the stats. We'll look at the first half before we kind of jump to the second half stats in this because I don't want to uh, I don't want to put up – I like to kind of look at the first half and then we'll talk about the second half after that. Yeah, make sure I got my information there. But – Kind of lined up like this. Georgia was up 26-7 to there at the half. Carson Beck at the time was 10 for 16, 139 yards, averaging almost nine yards of play, one touchdown. DeJon Edwards had eight carries, 67 yards. So far in the first half, two touchdowns. Kendall had five for 21. Ladd, big game again, like I said, for Ladd. In the first half alone, he had four receptions, 74 yards, and a touchdown. Georgia had held Florida. Again, that first drive, Georgia or Florida was driving. Drove right down the field. I think got two, maybe even three first downs and then getting a touchdown right off the bat. Uh, but from that point on, Georgia kind of locked things down defensively, only allowing Florida seven first downs in the first half compared to 13 for Georgia. Georgia on third down held Florida two for seven. That was one of the keys which we're going to get to here in just a minute. But Georgia offensively was also only two for six, so not quite as successful offensively on third downs as we had been coming into this game. But defensively, we kept that same drive alive there. Did go one for one on fourth downs for Georgia, 0 for one for Florida there. Yardage was 246 total yards in the first half for Georgia, 120 for Florida. 139 of that came through the air for Georgia, and 98 of those came through the air for Florida. That limited to Florida 22 yards rushing on the ground in the first half. Georgia had 107 yards on the ground in the first half alone. Not very many penalties in this game, which I was kind of impressed by because this you know, rivalry game, penalties kind of seemed to rack up. Georgia had two penalties for 10 yards in the first half. That was the only penalties Georgia would get for the entire game. And and Florida had one for 12 yards, but they would only get one more penalty in the game as well to be two for 17. A couple of penalties missed. I mean, I saw a horse collar tackle that didn't get called. I think we may have had a late hit that didn't get called. A couple of face masks that didn't get called. So the rest were really kind of letting them play. But Georgia and Florida, I mean, in a game that, again, he did rivalry like this, kind of kept the cool on both sides of the ball in a game that seems like every year there's at least a little bit of a scuffle or a little bit of a, you know, something going on. Didn't really happen much in this game. So uh, I, I didn't necessarily hate to see it either because Georgia the entire team, the entire time was not talking. 
they were doing the talking with their pads and, and handling business, and there was not much that Florida could do against it. So that was kind of a nice thing to see. Then by the end of this game, this is kind of how the stats line up. Carson Beck ends up 19 for 28, almost 70 yards or 70% in this game, 315 total yards, right at eight yards per attempt, two touchdowns. And Lab McConkey ends up six receptions, 135 yards, averaging over 22 and a half yards per play and a touchdown as well in this game. Just a good game overall. Georgia had 486 total yards. I think we had that uh, up there earlier. Did not lose the ball. Uh, Florida did turn it over two times, or I guess it was just once. They fumbled it a couple times. Georgia fell on it that one time uh, to get the to get the turnover. Uh, Dejon Edwards ends up 95 yards, five yards shy of getting that 100-yard uh, mark again. Kendall Milton behind him, 55 yards and a touchdown. Again, Dylan Bell, he had 13 yards rushing, did have 21 yards through the air receiving, so 34 all-purpose yards. Lab McConkey, like we said, 135. Dominic Lovett. 83 yards in this game. Oscar Delp had 31. Marcus Roseman, Jack Saint, only a couple touches in this game for eight yards. Ra-Ra had 19, and C.J. also had 15. C.J. Smith, good to see him back in there as well. Uh, I think he had been battling a little bit of injury, so it was nice to see him getting back in this game as well. Uh, Javon Bullard had a good night, seven tackles. Tyke Smith, six. Tyke's battling a little bit of an injury. We'll kind of see how things go throughout the week to see if we're going to be able to see him in that Missouri game. I think he's important, and we're going to need him uh, in this game. Did get a couple of sacks in this game as well. I think we ended up with like four, three or four on the night, which was really good. Um, No interceptions, no interceptions, but did have that one forced fumble. Actually, there were two technically forced fumble that Georgia actually only picked up. Uh, one of those on the night. Let's look at the keys to the game and see how we kind of paired as as far as the keys go in this game. Here we got, if you guys are watching on YouTube, make sure you go over and check out the YouTube channel so you can see all the graphics that are going on. Offensively, no turnovers. We did great at that, did that. Pass protect did very well at that as well. Don't think Carson Beck got touched really at all in this game. He had a lot of time back there in the pocket. The O-line did a great job, uh, and and obviously running backs as well. And pass pro, so we did really good at that. And, again, I think successful at running the ball too. Again, on the ground, George ends up almost 200 yards. What did we end up? 171 yards on the ground on 38 rushing attempts, three touchdowns on the ground. So all of those offensively, I think we did great. So ding, 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 three check marks on that defensively. Quarterback pressure did that, didn't really let Graham get out of the pocket too much. We created the havoc, had a couple of – only had one turnover, but we were still creating enough havoc that they actually had a couple of fumbles in this game. And we got off the field on third downs. I think – I wish I had pulled up the the last – Usually I'd pull up my final, like, numbers to see what the third down percentage ended up being at the end of the game. I thought I had it here, but but that's okay. Peyton Woodring, again, two for two on field goals on the night, ends up 11 points all by himself. Only had to punt the ball, I think, three times in this game and two times later into the game uh, before we actually had to. Uh, But it's really good to see that field goal game continue to kind of click off there um, for him as well again. When you start the season kind of rough on the kicking game, can it can make you kind of nervous and it can kind of linger as time goes. So it's good to see him uh, continuing to get things going there. So, again, Georgia, I had them on top 38-217. to 40, 43-20, I'll take that score uh, as well. I think that's a pretty good one uh, in this. Later on in the week, we're going to preview uh, the 
Yeah, we're going to preview the Georgia-Missouri game that we got coming up. I know Georgia fans have it circled on the schedule. I'm sure the players have it circled on the schedule as well because of the way the Missouri played Georgia last year, knowing that that was a tough and physical game. But at the same time, Missouri is going to have it ah, My goodness, they're going to have it circled as well because they gave that game away. And and Georgia, or Georgia, I guess, technically came and took it. Maybe they did give it away. It's kind of a little bit of a both. You know, I think Georgia kind of kicked itself in the foot a little bit in that game, but at the same time, Missouri didn't stop them from going down and scoring and ended up winning that game. Uh, so both teams, I think that's going to – I really think it's going to be a big matchup. I think the line has opened at like 16, but a huge matchup. So we'll be sure to uh, preview that game coming up later on into the week. So let's take a look real quick at some of the other games that went on around the country. As well, you had Oregon State falling to Arizona, 27-24. to USC barely, barely squeaks it out against Cal, 50-49. to And a lot of that is because Cal went for two at the end of the game. Instead of kicking the field goal and pushing for overtime, uh, USC ends up barely, barely squeaking by one point there. There's a reason they're ranked 24th now in the country. Uh, Air Force consent, continuing the undefeated state against Colorado State, 30-13. to uh, Georgia Tech again upsetting number seventeen North Carolina forty six to forty two. Kansas upsets number six Oklahoma thirty eight to thirty three. Tennessee beating Kentucky thirty three to twenty seven. Louisville dimes Duke twenty three to nothing. A top twenty five matchup. Number twenty Duke falling to number eighteen Louisville twenty three to nothing. Ole Miss over Vandy thirty three to seven. Penn State squeaking by. Indiana, 33-24. Washington over Stanford, 42-33. to I know that was another one that was like, eh, don't sleep on it necessarily. Texas over BYU. Quinn Ewers hurt in this game, so having to go with the backup. 35-6 to didn't matter. UCLA taking care of Colorado, 28-16. to Oregon over Utah. Utah has been a thorn in that side. That's a big top 15 matchup uh, that was going on, number eight versus 13. And Oregon getting it done this year, 35-6. to That's definitely a team to watch later on in this season. If they could go on and win the win the Pac-12, you know, Pac-12 always seems to kind of crumble itself by the end of the season. USC's already doing that to himself. Uh, let's see what happens with Washington continuing forward. And don't sleep on Oregon State either. So there, there's a kind of a three-way little run going on right there that, that's going to be curious to see how it rounds out the end of the season to see if the Pac-12 can fight for a position in that top four when the time comes for the college football playoff. Because right now it really looks like you're going to get one SEC team in, the potential of having two Big Ten teams in if an Ohio State and a Michigan team got to fly, flying around in here with me. Anyway, uh if those two teams are undefeated when they play, the committee's liable to put both of them in. So, really only one spot waiting there. Is that FSU? Is that a Pac-12 team? Let's see what happens here. Can you get uh, a one-loss team coming out of the Big Ten and push them in over the potential of an undefeated or one-loss Pac-12 team? That's that's something that the committee's going to have to figure out. And luckily, I'm not on the committee to have to worry about it. So, we're going to see as that kind of – uh, wraps itself up as well. Speaking of the ACC, FSU over Wake Forest, forty-one to sixteen. They continue to look really good. Ohio State over Wisconsin, twenty-four to ten. Not the prettiest win, but it was on the road. Uh, Mississippi State and Auburn. Auburn does win that one, twenty-seven to thirteen. And then Iowa State over Baylor, thirty-two to eighteen. So that is some of the other big ones uh, that we're going on. You guys, you guys can see that if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, Halloween, man, some crazy things are going on. Let's look at the picks of the week. I didn't update my little line on the bottom there. 
Technically, it was the week before last that I was one and five, though. So I went a little bit easier with it. I thought I would anyway. So Georgia over Florida, Cha Ching, FSU over Wake Forest, Cha Ching, uh, North Carolina over Georgia Tech. What are you doing, North Carolina? I had the perfect week to go four and zero and start to make a comeback on my on my picks. Get back over four or five hundred. And what do you do? You drop the ball to Georgia Tech. At least Ole Miss did beat Vandy, so I did go three and one on the week. Uh but I'm not over 500 because of it. 21, 22, and 1 is what it's going to end up being. I'll update that graphic kind of as we go. Some of the other big games that we do have coming up uh, this week as well. Some of your top, I guess it's top-ranked matchups that are going to happen this weekend. Number 25, Kansas State at number 7, Texas. Number 14, Missouri obviously traveling to number 1, Georgia. Number 5, Washington at number 24, USC. And then you get... Number 13, LSU at number 8, Alabama. That was going to be a big one to determine what's going on over there in the SEC West. Could be what wraps up the SEC West conversation. Just similarly how these next couple of weeks are going to determine what wraps up in the SEC East. I think if Georgia can beat Missouri, uh, I think you might still have to beat Ole Miss to clinch the East, but I'm fairly certain that if you beat Missouri, depending on what else goes on in the East uh, over the weekend, that could wrap up the East if Georgia can take care of Missouri. We're not. We're going to try not to get too far ahead of our skis when that time comes. But some of the other big ones, FSU traveling to Pitt. Don't sleep on Pitt just because you're the number four team in the country. Notre Dame and Clemson. In years past, it's been good. Clemson's just not good this year. But doesn't mean that game might not still be good. Got him. Sorry. That was probably pretty loud for you guys listening. on. He lives. I'm telling you guys. If you are watching on YouTube right now, this is the dumbest thing you've ever seen. And if you're listening to the podcast and I hadn't cut this out, it's also the dumbest thing you've ever seen. But it just shows I can kind of get sidetracked, but I don't know where the bug came from. But anyways, some of the other ones, let's see. A&M and Ole Miss might be good. Army and Air Force. Penn State at Maryland. Keep an eye on it. Virginia Tech upsetting Louisville. It's possible. Kansas, Iowa State. Kansas is now ranked two after beating them. Washington, USC. I mean, Washington should take care of them, but let's see, can they play defense? That's going to be two really good offensive matchups there, and it's at USC too, so something to look at there. Oregon State, Colorado, meh. UCLA at Arizona. I'll say this now. This is that Pac-12 late at night kind of game there at 10 o'clock. Don't sleep on it. Arizona's not been a team to sleep on. They just upset Oregon State 27-24 to there as well. So some of the stuff to kind of look at, though. That's kind of where we're going to wrap things up here uh, on the night. So I appreciate you guys watching. If you're watching on YouTube, if not, make sure you go over and check it out. If you've been watching, make sure you hit the like button. I'd appreciate it. Uh, and if you guys want to uh, leave a review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you guys listen, I'd greatly appreciate that as well. If you want to sponsor the show or support the show, Patreon forward slash patreon.com forward slash dog talk. I'd appreciate it. Otherwise, I will check in with you guys when we get prepared for Mizzou. Good dogs.